If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John Almquist. I serve as pastor here at the Springs, and welcome. Join with me while we pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of a facility. We thank you for folks who see this as a place where you are changing lives, where your church is on mission, and they have released resource upon resource upon resource, their time, their talent, and their treasure to make this, a, to make this whole thing happen. God, we don't do this for this. We don't do this so, so there's more lights, bigger screen, nicer sound, less echo. We do this because we love you. We do this because you've changed our lives. May that be the only legacy, the only feeling, the only vibe that people get when they come here. When they get around your people, may they see real love. People who were broken now being a blessing. People who were lost now found. People who were now foolish now imperfect, imperfect, but striving in faithfulness. Would you make that true of me? God, I'm asking you to do with this place what only you can do, and it's change hundreds of lives. I'm asking you to come and bring about a sense of holiness and love. It doesn't matter how well I preach, how well we sing, how good any of this looks. You're the only one who does that. May we never get it confused. If you would, take the next 10 seconds, and if you have a faith, just pray for yourself. Pray that God would use this time to strengthen your faith, or if you're working through it, that he'd help you to work through it. If you would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I wouldn't perform. Pray that I would, out of love, fear God and just be faithful. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Well, as I shared before, I am tremendously excited to be with you guys. I loved last weekend when we were away for the big serve. I loved the weekend before we talked about why we are people who serve. How the big serve, it's not an event, it is God's people, not in appearance, not in substance. But I loved where we were three weeks ago, where we've been journeying our way for the past few months through the book of Philippians. We've been working our way through this section where really, the section we've been working through, we've broken out into three different themes over three different Sundays. You, you could have taught it as one, but we were just excited to kind of zoom in and focus on these other parts to pull out these truths. And I could not be more excited about today. Because essentially, where we're going to go with this text is we're going to see something that's new, right? We're going to see it's been building this momentum to where God is going to give a title, a name to Jesus Christ. And it's at that name, it's at that title that everything changes. But to kind of set that up, it got me thinking about how we tend to act differently with people depending on their titles, right? Depending on title, what I mean by title is like almost like a position, right? Depending on someone's title, it changes how you interact with them. And I started thinking about my own life. Hey, what are ways that I do this? Like I had buddies in medical school, right? And they were just dumb students. And then they graduated and they were dumb doctors. No disrespect to any physicians, right? But the title changes. I had buddies in law school who before, they're like poli-sci majors. And then they graduate from law school and they're attorneys. Title change. The amazing thing where I really thought about this, though, was my relationship with my now wife. 
how my relationship with her went through these multiple status, these multiple title changes from girl I thought was super cute to made of my girlfriend to fiance to wife to now privileged mother of my child and mother of baby on the way, right? All these tremendous different title changes. Like I can remember the first time that I met her, I met her at this volleyball game, it was a 4th of July party, and I can remember seeing her and thinking she was super cute, and she talked about Jesus, and I can remember she was just this girl, but I had this mission, and my job was to basically come and woo her to the point of where she realized I'm so much better than all these other guys, and you just got to talk to me. P.S., I won. I asked her out. She met me at coffee that Saturday. I can remember at coffee, we're sitting there, and what am I doing? I'm starting to build to where I want a title change. I wanted it to shift. I can remember we lived in Dallas at the time, and I took her. It was about three weeks after that. I took her to this place called Fountain Place, these beautiful fountains, super romantic. I took her down there, and I can remember in the cheesiest way, but it was charming, cheesiest way. I can remember asking her, will you, Taylor Fuller? be my girlfriend, right? And there's this like all of a sudden moment of change and there's these feelings, but we don't know how to describe it and we're scared to describe it. And she's so excited and I'm like, yes, winning. Title change from girl to girlfriend. You fast forward and we get to that point where, where you're gilding, moving towards, because if you're dating, you are dating towards the purpose of marriage. You don't date for fun, you date on mission. And I can remember thinking through that coming and planning to make her my fiance, hoping. And I can remember that title, man, it changes how you interact with people. Like it was only because of that title that I remember I got in the car one morning, I went late to work. I got in the car one morning, I drove an hour and a half outside of Dallas so I could meet her dad at a Denny's. I sat across from this Denny's and I looked at him and I said, hey, I'd like to ask your daughter to be my wife. I had a whole breakfast conversation, like this pit in my stomach. I was pretty sure he was going to say yes, but you like never really know. The only reason I did that, I wanted to change that title. That title changed the relationship. It changed the way I interacted. It changed the way I cared for. And then, man, I can remember you come up and you stand there. And I can remember standing across from her and we're getting married, the privilege of the moment. I can remember I do. I do. I can remember my buddy Blake standing there. Saying, I now pronounce you. What, did, what changed? Mr. and Mrs. Taylor and John Omquist. Title change. It went from, I got to show you why you need me, to, I locked you up. <laughs> right? If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. You get what I'm talking about. Single late, and you actually, we're not going to go there. Right? <laughs> not going to go there. But I, I just share that because each one of these, there's this, there's this title change. And when the title, <laughs> they're nervous. When the title changed, it changed the relationship. Guys, this is true of your, of your jobs, your relationships, your roles, places you volunteer, church bodies you're a part of. There's a difference between coming and checking out a church and being a member, right? Because there's a difference in title. But there's one title that if you're here, it changes everything. Like, I had all those titles with my wife, and each title, it changed how I interacted with her. But I can remember, man, there was a title. It was 2011 for me. I can remember there was a title, and it was between me and not, not Taylor, but me and God. 
You see, I'd grown up knowing about God. I'd grown up having an understanding of God. But that was when and where I learned this new title. And this title changed everything. It was just me in a studio-sized apartment in Dallas. And for the first time, I grasped the reality of the title, Lord. I no longer just saw God as someone I was supposed to do what he said. I no longer saw God as this like authoritarian in the sky. And every time that I gave way to like my brokenness, my drinking, drug abuse, foolish interactions with females, pornography, you pick whichever one, my sinfulness, my selfishness, my greed, whatever. It was the first time that I saw that because he's Lord, he'd forgiven and he'd saved me. I didn't have to be a better version of myself. I had to be a believing follower of him. I saw him as Lord, as in this reality of there's no one who's loved me more than you. There's no one kinder to me than you. I'm going all in. You get everything. What happened? By God's grace, I grasped the title change. And what happened when the title changed? My relationship with God changed. Specifically, I saw him as Savior, but then there was this truth where it created me a you are king. And I can remember that word stood out in my mind because for so many things in my life, and, and I bet like some of, some of you, like I had this natural drive where you want to come and even my career path, I decided on who do I want to be in 30 years? How much influence and power do I want? How can I get to the top of the something? And how do I work my way back and start? And then you set this clock where I can remember thinking, okay, by the time I'm 30, here's where I got to be. Here's how much money I got to have. Where instead I can remember shifting and realizing he's Lord and connecting to the truth of that means he's sovereign, he's in authority, he's kind, he's good, he's king. And it does this amazing thing, right? It does this amazing thing. When you acknowledge him as Lord, when you see him as king, you know what you're supposed to do before royalty? Bow. Dude, for the longest time of my life, the reality of bowing to a God that I thought was a jerk. I didn't want anything to do with that. And when the title changed, you know where my heart leans in? It's a privilege to bow. I bow. You're king, I'm not. Words like submit mean freedom to me. Words like surrender bring life. Why? We, followers of Christ, because there's a title change in the name Lord, and we'll see God's going to bestow it on him. And every knee is going to bow. We bow to the king. The reason why I love this so much is so many times, people, we have such a broken view of authority. And honestly, we rightly should. Like such a broken view of people in positions of authority. Like, like imagine right now, we're, we're at an all-time low of a trust in every form, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, political leadership. Tremendous distrust. Financial institutions and the people that lead those. We are at a tremendous point if you can't trust. There's no trust. Why? Because there's people in positions of authority that we don't like. That we see them time after time misuse or abuse authority. And because of that, the reality of bow and submission of following godly true leadership. Like even in America, it's like a taste that you just want to spit out of your mouth. But here's the thing. Oh, man, apply it to pastoral leadership. Pastors, people just like me, 
We are imperfect and broken. We are not Jesus. We are a reflection of it. We will let you down. By the grace of God, pray it's not severe. We are imperfect and running after the same Jesus Christ as you. But man, imperfect, broken forms of authority and leadership. But here's what's amazing. Like while we exist in this culture where there's this, this, this fear of authority, Christians also exist in a place where we realize there's no better authority than Jesus Christ. Like there's this phrase that if you work in the White House, that, that folks say, if any of you have ever seen the show West Wing, or Designated Survivor, or pretty much any other show about the presidential office, there's this phrase, we serve at the pleasure of the president. Dude, the Christian heart is I serve at the pleasure of the king. I bow. Like he's the one authority figure, he's never going to let me down. He's the one authority figure that when I follow him, it's actually for my good. That when I bring pain to my life, it wasn't his fault, it was mine. He's the one authority figure where we can guarantee forever and always, from beginning to the end, alpha and omega, it's a privilege to bow. So that's what I want to talk about today, guys. I, I want to talk about how if you're here and you're following Jesus Christ or if you're wrestling with it, I want to show you why the title of Lord changes everything and why, because of it, we bow to the king. Not in like broken subservice to one that just takes advantage as an egomaniac and is not out for our good. That's the opposite of what I'm going to show you. But we bow to one who's kind, who's good, who's loving. Like a true righteous father, not a broken father figure, parental role in your life that you had growing up. But what it's always meant to be. So where are we going to see this? Well, we're going to see this in three verses. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11, and, and to kind of see why we bow to the king, to see why we do that, the first thing we're going to talk about is this, this theological thing that happens. It's, it's Christ's exaltation. Because of that, the next thing we're going to talk about is what comes from it. My submission. Our submission. And then the third thing, and this is the part I'm most excited for. Why do we do it? God's glory. Whole thing, God's glory. Like, he's done all of this. He gets the credit. I don't get to take any of it. He's kind. He's good. To kind of set this up, guys, where we've been, like, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you could teach, as I shared at the top, almost is one section where it really started in the first time. We talked about the reality of consider others as more significant than yourself. It's this truth where, as a Christian, you're called to self-sacrifice in a confusing way to the world. Here's what I mean by that. It, it literally says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Consider others is more significant than yourself. Like in our world, that's crazy. We are meant to be crazy. We are meant to look out for others. We are meant to not forget ourselves, but to prioritize people before us. And then after that, the next week, we talked about this beautiful example. The pinnacle example of that was Jesus Christ. How he came in considering us is more significant than him. Even though he was God, a very God, he left the throne room of heaven, never forsaking his deity, but embracing humanity. He lived a perfect life, but in that life he was mocked. He knew loneliness. He knew what it meant to be hungry. He knew what it meant to draw near to God, to draw near to the Father in a different way. And then he died a shameful death on a cross. 
as people, and we would have been there, y'all. We mocked him. To we talked about, it was his humiliation. Not, not just that he died this embarrassing death on a cross, but that God, a very God, came down. How Christmas changes everything. And here's where we are today. We're going to talk about how from Jesus' humiliation, what does God do? Bring about his exaltation. If you got a Bible, read with me. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to jump around for this first theme. Verses 9 through 11. Therefore, right, before I keep reading that, therefore what it's showing is it's connecting what we're about to talk about with the previous, the, the teaching or the recap there about the humiliation of Christ, even death on a cross. That's why that's there. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Y'all say bow with me on three. One, two, three, bow. Wow, bad. One more time. One, two, three, bow. Hey, we're getting better at that. I like that. Right? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God the Father. As we talk about the reality, how is it, a, it is a privilege to do so, but we, followers of Christ, we bow to the king. The first thing you got to see here is Christ's exaltation, right? It's his exaltation. It, it's going from the humiliation to being restored to the privileges and rights of being God, a very God. See, exaltation, it's not just coming in where you put something before. It actually has this like theological meaning. It's speaking to what happened to Jesus. The first part of his exaltation, it's his resurrection. Like Christians, we believe that God died, and then he rose from the grave three days later, right? And when he came back, he defeated sin and death and the power of Satan in this world. Here's what that means for you and for me. We don't have to be a slave to our brokenness. We're made sons and daughters of righteousness, his resurrection. The second part was his ascension. 40 days after he comes back from the grave, 40 days he comes and he's engaging with people. He's going to tell them to go to Jerusalem. He's going to give them this road map. Holy Spirit's going to come and Jesus ascends into heaven. And here's why that matters. Where does he go? That's the third coronation, right? He goes to rule and to reign as the Lord of the heavens and the universe at the right hand of God the Father. Where he had always been before, but where he stepped out of for you and for me. And the final one, this is probably one of my favorites. He is exalted in the way that he intercedes. I wish we had more time. We'd turn here and we'd teach it. Romans 8 talks about how one of the roles of Jesus Christ, it's his intercession. The Holy Spirit does it too. Where he comes and he not only intercedes between us and God as a bridge between the two, but he comes and he intercedes on behalf of he knows what bothers you. He knows what causes you more anxiety than you want to admit. He knows what, like the, the pain of financial fear and insecurity when it creeps in, you forget. I forget that he's the creator of the universe. He can do whatever he wants. Like he knows that pain. He intercedes. Why? He's been exalted. And then God comes and he bestows, he gives to this name that's above every other name. And I love that language because what it's doing is God is intentionally speaking to a hierarchy. 
right? The hierarchy God wants us to know is that Jesus Christ is Lord. You and I are not. One of the things we all tend to do is try to make ourselves God. We try to make other people God, our careers God, the car we drive God. If I could just get this house a God, if I could just have this much in the retirement account, make that a God. If I could just get married, if I could just have children, you pick it. We all try to make that Lord. What we worship. And God's making sure I don't, we don't ever get it confused. No. He is Lord. And the fun part too, even in studying this, the name that we'll bow to isn't necessarily Jesus Christ. It's Lord. Jesus, if you don't know this, it would have been like a Greek version, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Joshua. Joshua meaning Jehovah or Yahweh saves. It speaks to God's the God of salvation. That's the theme. But as this Greek translation pulled out, the name Jesus was an extremely common first century name for a Jew. Right? My name's John. There's always multiple Johns. There would have always been multiple Jesuses. One Lord. One. It, it changes things. I can remember, and I, I, I alluded to it before, but after I trusted Christ, I started hanging out with this group of Christians. I'd never really run with a faithful group of Christians before in my life. And I can remember we'd go in to eat meals, and there's always this awkwardness, especially for me at the beginning, because they would, like, stop and pray, and I never really knew what quite to do and all that stuff. And there was this one guy where every time this group was together, he'd always pray. He was like the token spiritual guy, right? Great guy. He'd always pray. And in his prayers, he would say two things that I can remember, right? He'd always end it in two ways. The first, let me make sure I get it right. Please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service. Now, I'm not the first one to point this out, but man, I can remember sitting there and I can remember intentionally planning to eat barbecue with him and looking down at this fatty, delicious, juicy looking piece of brisket and thinking to myself, man, I don't think he's going to turn that into something healthy. We did water and wine, but I don't think that's changing, right? But we still, we pray that, and I don't say there's anything wrong with it, right? But we pray that, and then there was a way he always ended prayers. It's in your name we pray, Amen. Anybody here grow up going to church? That's how I ended the prayer at the very start of this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's in the Lord's name all said. Amen. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You ever wonder why we say it's in your name we pray? You ever actually think about it or consider it? Because I can remember thinking about it, considering it, and being like, I don't get it. Like, I grew up in this kind of Methodist church for a little bit to where there was ritual, and we would recite things and go back and forth. And I thought, I was like, okay, this is just like some routine and ritual that I, like, missed in Bible school, I didn't quite know what it was. Is that what it's for? Is this like some weird spiritual incantation? It's not supposed to be that. I started looking it up. Do you know why Christians end prayers like that? Jesus, he has two different places explicit where he says, until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, you will receive, your joy will be complete. Asking in your name is an acknowledgement God, you are Lord, I am not. You are sovereign, I am not. Your will be done, not mine. We end prayers like that because it's a reminder to bow. Your life, your faith, your will, every part about you, bow. And why, that, why that's amazing that the title of Lord changes that is because that means that my tendency to try to compartmentalize my faith 
to where like I, I have my family, I have my friends, I have my extended family that I go see on holidays, right? Then I have my, my finances, my entertainment choices and what I watch on Netflix, uh, the, the movies that I go see, the mu- music that I listen to, right? If you're not married, right? If you don't have that, like, okay, your, your dating relationships, your desire to date, your desire for kids, you pick whatever. We like compartmentalize all this stuff. And we make sure that the Jesus bucket, if we're like really growing, it definitely fits in. Okay, Sunday morning, I'll do that. And then maybe I commit to one thing a week and it like fits in this beautiful, nice compartment. If he's Lord and we in prayers in your name, there's no compartment for Lord. Lord is overseeing of everything. Like if he's Lord, he's in charge of it all. Your pursuit of excellence at work when you fight for a faithfulness in a job you don't enjoy, he's Lord. Your desires, you plead with God to bring about a change in your spouse because they're currently unrepentant and foolish. He's Lord. Your pleading heart for the privilege of a next stage of life that you think will bring satisfaction and fulfillment, and the only way that's coming is glory. He's Lord. His exaltation means He's Lord of everything. Like, he gets it all. There are no compartments. Let's keep looking at what else that means for us. All right, let's keep looking at what else that means for us. If you got a Bible, turn back with me. We're going to look at verse 10. Verse 10. So that, so he, again, so that, he's continuing the idea from before. So that at the name of Jesus, we just talked about this, every knee should bow. What name do they bow to? Lord, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love that. Because here's what it comes. It says, hey, here's what should happen at the name of Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee should bow. Your Bible, if you're reading something different, it, it may say every knee will bow. Bowing, it, it's obvious. It's an act of homage, of praise. It's acknowledgement of you, our king. We bow to the king. And then he talks about there's going to be three groups of people that do this. Three. And it's this amazing thing, excuse me, because even as he's talking about this, this is literally a reference to a historical event. Like there's going to come a future time in the end times where we will literally all bow, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't. Right? And what Paul's doing is right here, he's actually picking up on something that a prophet about a thousand years before him taught. 500. A guy by the name of Isaiah guy by the name of Isaiah, right? Isaiah 45, you don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you, though. Isaiah says this. Oh, it's God speaking through him. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I love that. As this starts to plead, it's, it's Jesus speaking through Isaiah, telling people to come back. Come back, believe in me. It's true. Repent of your sins. Come back, come home come. By myself I have sworn. He doesn't have to swear according to anything else. He's God. He's Lord. For from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. This will happen. That's what he's saying. This will happen to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. So there's this this time in the past where Isaiah gives this prophecy of a future event. Y'all tracking with that? And then Paul, in between those events, he picks it up and he piggybacks on what Isaiah says. And he says, no, no, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. 
It's this moment where he says, here's who will do it. All those in heaven, here's what that is. Angels and followers of Jesus who will have died, God's redeemed people, they will bow. They will have bowed already. They will have bowed out of joy and acknowledgement. He's Lord. And there's another group of people. And these will be people, and depending on how you view the end of the earth, right, I'm going to tell you where I'd put this. Right after the tribulation, just before the millennial reign, when Christ comes back, we'll talk about that another time. But there will be people on the planet, they're at this time where they will come, believers and non-believers, they will gather in this valley outside of Jerusalem. It's a valley called Jehoshaphat. It, it literally means God judges. It'll be when Christ returns and there'll be two crowds of people, those who by faith is a gift from God, acknowledged him as Lord before. And then those who, like me, for the longest time, in hardness of heart, said, you are not my God. I do not believe in you. You know what happened to both? They'll bow. And then there's a third. There's the saddest category. Those under the earth. That would be fallen angels, demons. And that will be people who died not acknowledging Christ as Lord. He will honor that prayer in the next life. If you don't want him here, he won't force you to be with him there. He'll give you what you want. But what will happen is, in death, you will know he is Lord. So in some way, and and I don't know, that text isn't speaking to that, in some miraculous, mysterious way, all people, throughout all time, in a moment, will bow. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess, it means to agree with. It means to acknowledge. Like, imagine that. Here's what this text is saying. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, there will come a moment where you will be on bended knee and you will say before God, you are Lord. You are king. You are sovereign. And you are good. Whether you acknowledge that here or you'll realize it there. The reason this matters so much is because what Paul's pleading for out of the reality. Like, you remember his humiliation? Like, Jesus doesn't want to force your knee to bow then. He wants your heart to willingly acknowledge him now. That's why he died for you. It's why he died for me. It's why every ounce of your brokenness, your sin was deserving of eternity apart from him. But he freed you from it when he died. He freed you from it on that cross. That's why we don't come, and he's not sitting here. The solution to acknowledging Jesus as Lord is not come and actually start going to church again. It's not come and actually just start reading your Bible. It's not come and actually try to make sexual purity a real thing in your life. It's not come and try and finally stop being greedy with your money. It's not come and die to every ounce of self-righteousness while you walk around and judge other people but your own home, family, and life, it's like a whitewashed tomb. It's not doing any of that. By the grace of God and by the grace of God alone, it's believing. He's Lord, that he loves you, that he forgave you, he's forgiven me, that he came to set you free. See the title change? God's exaltation, he's Lord, means, means our submission. We bow to the king. Let's look at why, right? Let's jump in. Let's look at verse 11. Let's let's look at why here, verse 11. I love this part. And every tongue confess, that means to acknowledge or to be in agreement that Jesus Christ is Lord 
Why? To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. To, to the glory, we, we have an idea what that, it just means to ascribe credit, to give praise. It means in response to all of this, considering others as more significant, that Jesus Christ left the throne room of God, embraced humanity, took on the form of a servant, and died, even death on a cross, that he humiliated himself through that, and that God exalted him. All of that, his humiliation, his exaltation, all of that, it's been for the glory, in the praise, in the honor of God. Here's why this matters on, on so many uh, different levels. For the longest time, I did everything I could to better myself. Like, I can remember, man, I, I was in a broken place, and I can remember thinking, hey, if I could just be sober, if I could just stop looking at broken images, if I could read my Bible, right, and I could just stay away from females. I would drive to this Starbucks every day, sit there, read a Bible. Man, I hated it. I hated it. I didn't view God as kind, as loving, as father, as forgiving. I viewed him as this authoritative buzzkill that I could never please. There was no glory in that. That's not what God wants. Like what the glory came from was upon the realization in me and then in many of you. You really are Lord. Like there's this amazing switch in the heart of a Christian where we realize the magnificence, the supremacy, the preeminence that God is a very God and he is the only one worthy of glory when you realize how great God is. It's this amazing sense of freedom. It's like real joy. It's like for the first time in my life, I could see what it's like to not make everything about me. Because who gets credit for Jesus dying on my behalf? Jesus. God the Father, who they, in unity with the Spirit, in eternity past, determining, we will come to redeem and to ransom a broken humanity. Every time Christians say, for the glory of God, it's always for our good. There was never a better thing that will happen to me than the day that I realized he is Lord. It's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for me. It's the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you. It's the most gracious thing that will ever happen to you. And who gets the credit, man? It's not you, it's not me, it's God. See, we're always trying to find ways to, 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 to identify glory or to make things our God, right? We, we try our physical appearance. If we just looked better, the next stage of a relationship, if I could just have a wife, if I could just have a husband, if, if we could just have more kids, if it was a different job, we're always trying to find things to satisfy that within us. You ever feel unsatisfied and like none of it's ever enough? It's, it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. But there's one thing that's not. Every area of my life where I live in accordance with God's word, acknowledging him as Lord, it doesn't take from me. It gives life. It's like where I sincerely find abundance. And when there's abundance, where there's abundance, you know what I say? Glory to God. We bow to the king because he's the only one worthy of it. We bow to the king because he deserves all the credit. We bow to the king because he saved you and he saved me. We bow to the king because when we follow after him, it's righteous and it's good to serve. We bow to the king.
I'll close with this. There's no greater way to see this really take place, in my opinion, than when you watch how God changes lives, when you watch how God changes hearts. I've had the privilege of getting to watch that happen in a friend of mine here. Past year and a half, it's a joy. I will have the honor to officiate the wedding of him and his bride-to-be next weekend. But you've gotten to see this miraculous journey in his life where he's come. And before, he was around church. He was around Christians. He had this idea of God. But what happened? He saw God as Lord. And it changed his life. He called this past week. was talking to Garrison, another pastor on staff. And he said, hey, man, I'm getting set to get married. You guys have talked to me about it. I've had it on my heart. One of the things I want to do is I go to lead her in faithfulness. I want to be faithful here. Baptism is a call to obedience. I want to be baptized. Started talking to him about it and what that looked like. We didn't have enough time to build a baptismal. We're going to figure that out another week, right? To where at the end of this, we'll invite you guys to come and join us, man. We're going to go to Landa Park, right there to that wading pool. And man, we're just going to have our own short, sweet, beautiful, divine little ceremony. Right, where we'll throw him in the water and by the grace of God, we'll bring him out. Baptism, guys. It's a celebration of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Lord, Savior. The old version of us is gone. A new life has come by the power of God. It's an acknowledgement he's Lord. It's where we come and with privileged hearts we say, I bow to the king. I don't want to be in charge. I tried being in charge, and I was a fool. I bow to the king. But one of the things baptism is always is a public declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It's an outward expression of an inward change of soul, of heart. And that's where what you do is you come, and may the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if y'all will, join me and give me a round of applause as I invite my friend Kyle up here to briefly share his story, and then we'll come up and close. All right, good morning. So yeah, as John said, uh, my name is uh, Kyle Dick. Uh, I've been here as a member for uh, about a year and a half now. Um, not as, uh, you know, blessed as John in uh, public speaking, so bear with me as I uh, read and let you guys know and share my testimony as I uh, pretty much read it off my uh, cheat notes here. But, um, so yeah, my, my background, I, uh, I didn't grow up in, in a religious family by any means, um, and throughout my childhood, I was always getting bits and pieces, you know, of Jesus and God because I had just friends who grew up in, in that type of background. Um, but at that time, nothing really stuck as far as, you know, God working within me. Um, I, my first really experience was going to a high school youth group uh, with my, my good friend Matt at the time. And I went home from that first meeting just amazed how God could impact so many people's lives. And since then was kind of the start of, of, of me really knowing, you know, of God. Um, 
but it took into my early 20s to where I consistently went to church. Um, it was around that time that I started paying more attention to what uh, was being said and supposedly believed about God, um, and I would claim to be a Christian, but as I look back at this time now in life, it was clear to me that I had no true or real understanding of God's love. Um, you know, I thought that I had trusted in God, and I was even starting to consider and believe some of what I was hearing in church, yet nothing fully, let, um, I never fully let God into my heart. Um, I knew him as God of the Bible, but I, I didn't know him, you know, as my Lord and Savior. Um, and so this kind of brings me into um, just the next seven years of my life, going through my mid-20s. Um, just being in, in two different yet serious relationships. Um, and these relationships weren't bad by any means, but God certainly wasn't you know, actively present in them. Um, the more I realized that God wasn't actively present in me either, um, even through, even though I thought I was living a good life, I didn't understand how much sin was actually taking place in it. Um, I mean, everything from just within my relationship, from sexual sin to sleeping over to living together, just not, you know, valuing, uh, um, valuing each other. Um, you know, nothing, nothing was in accordance to how God intended this to be. And I came so far as to find myself um, engaged and, you know, engaged with someone that didn't share you know, any of the same religious, you know, background or framework that I thought I believed in. Um, and it was, you know, I was calling myself Christian and saying that I wanted to live for God, yet I was planning to marry, you know, a girl that didn't hold any of these, you know, things. And you know, the truth is, I look back on that and I realize that, you know, I really didn't truly, you know, believe in those, in those frameworks and backgrounds either. And so, um, you know, I would at times, sorry, um, you know, I, I still had been uh, looking back at that, you know, relationship. I would still be imperfect and a sinner, but life, you know, would have been totally different than it is now. Um, you know, instead, you know, and at the same time going with all that, my, my self-worth what I thought, you know, was self-worth was based on, you know, tangible things, success in, in your career, um, you know, and all that just led to reaching for things that were, were out of my limits, not, you know, what God intended for me. And, you know, with that comes a lot of not being content with what God has given you. Um, and in my own way, you know, I try to find the satisfaction, contentment, and love in every way I knew how, yet I was never satisfied. And Ecclesiastics, you know, one fourteen says, "I have I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after wind." And it was after um, a lot of those relationships that I found myself. This is back in two thousand sixteen. Just just very unhappy with life lonely, feeling like I was a failure in all aspects, just in this self, you know, self-pityness of life, because I was living for desires of my flesh, and not, 
being content or not happy with, with any of those things that I was trying to reach after. And so that leads to today of just by the grace of God, you know, I stand here as a different man. Um, two years ago, I truly accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. And because of that, my life has, has immensely changed. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, and not of works so that no one, no one may boast. And it's because of that love that I found gracefulness in everything um, that I've been given, knowing that it all comes from him. Um, you know, looking back at the broken areas of my past, I realized God was always by my side the whole time and really saw how he really was shaping me through all these up and downs. Um, and so, and I had, to, I had to go through a lot of that darkness to, to really see the light and the fruitfulness of where I'm at, you know, my life today. Um, and I can truly, truly say that because of all that, I am a new creation. And as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And with that, once, once I really began to understand God's love, I really had a, a deep self-evaluation of myself after going through the life struggles of, of pretty much my, my 20s and just realizing that my faith in Jesus meant it meant nothing um, as I hadn't been living in any way of accordance to God. Um, you know, for the first time, I felt so much conviction over, my, over all my sin and knew God intended me to be a better man. And he intended so much better for, the pers for, for me personally. Um, from that day, I, f I fought to allow God to be in charge of my life. You know, no more half-in, half-out scenario. Um, I had no idea, though, at the time, just what changes God had in store for me. But I can truly say they've just been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, Jesus brought me from salvation from all my past sins, changed my heart and my mind in many ways. Um, and st staying open and honest through, um, open and honest in my community group, um, has changed, has brought great spiritual fruitness. Just talking through struggles and encouraging one another has just kept me growing in God's love and gracefulness for me. Um, you know, as I was living in darkness, but with the help of God, I've, I fight every day to walk in the light. Um, and that brings me to pretty much the, the best sort of um, gift that I've, you know, been able to, you know, get from God is, is, he brought me, my fiance Missy, um, he brought me into her life, um, and God brought me a woman who, who loved him who, and, and wanted to honor him first. Um, and that said, you know, I have cared, um, I said that I had cared about that in the past, but because of Jesus, I can now sincerely care about that. Um, and it's because of Missy that I've gotten to come to the Springs, um, which has been, which I'm so grateful for. 
uh, the Springs has grown me into the Christian I am today. The past, you know, year and a half, you know, I felt like family here. You know, everyone here sincerely cares and, and wants you to grow. Um, and since I filled out that get, uh, the Get Connected card, uh, my life has just been filled with nothing but love, getting to know God, and molding myself into the person that, you know, he always intended me to be. And, you know, thinking about it, you know, now, um, it has been amazing to see just how God has grown and changed me here. Um, you know, my community group, um, some of the best five guys I've ever met, um, they've been such a, a monumental and just vital part of my life. And so, you know, Garrison, Chad, uh, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, uh, Zachary, uh, and Marco, um, and Evan, um, those are, I mean, those relationships will I'll always cherish moving forward. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so now, what brings me here today and, and the reason why that, you know, baptism is, is important to me is because is it is a great way to share with you that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Um, I didn't earn his love, but by his grace, like, I, I have it. Um, I truly believe that he died for my sins and rose from the grave. And I don't think that, I don't think that being baptized is required to go to heaven, but I do see it as the call for faithfulness. You know, it is my declaration that, you know, to him that I am all in. Um, and this Friday, you know, I, I married my best friend, the most amazing person in my life, and with that, I want to lead her in, in faithfulness. And knowing that, and having been encouraged by friends to take, you know, this step in obedience, I know that I wanted to be baptized to start our journey as one flesh in being marriage. Um, you know, Jesus Christ saved me, and I can truly say I am a new creation. And so with that, as a conclusion, God is just good, good, good. Guys, I love that. I love a faithful heart that disciplines themselves to write out three pages of notes to where they come and out of a love for God, sit here. And it's, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard. Sit here and with paper trembling, fight to talk about the faithfulness of a king. Fight to look back and remember times in his life where, hey, there were seasons where he thought he was walking, but in reality, he was far from. He didn't bow. To come and then find an environment and a people to really connect with God in a different way to where he saw, now he's good. He loves me. It's not rules. It really is relationship. I need the forgiveness of a savior. I need to acknowledge him as Lord. And the change that comes from that, once you trust Christ, here's what's not guaranteed to you. Happiness, success, marriage, spouse, family, children, any of that. Because he's Lord, though, you come and you say, I bow. You are king. Come what may, help me in every moment. I bow. One of the greatest stories about them, right, that I, that I love, because I've gotten to see Kyle up close but from afar over the past part, is there's, there's these broken patterns of relationships in his life in the same way there are in mine. 
And there was this moment where he's a huge baseball fan, wanted to create this getaway weekend trip for him and Missy. Missy's his bride-to-be, right? And he comes up to her and he surprises her and he said, hey, we're all set. We got this trip going to plan. Here's where we're going. We're going to New York City. You went to New York City, right? Great place. We're going to New York City. And Missy's so excited initially. And then Missy kind of catches herself and she says, hey, I don't know if I can go away on a weekend with you. I don't, I don't think it would be wise if we just shared a hotel room. And Kyle, he's a different man. Kyle just said, oh, no, 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 you have your own hotel room. You got your own thing. We'll call, we'll check in with people. They had their community group checking in with them. They did all that. Why would you do that? Because you believe he's king. You believe he's good. You believe his way is better. You believe his way is right. And that's where, man, for those who want to come and join, you celebrate every life change. The old has gone. The new has come. Raised in newness of life. An outward declaration of an inward soul change. That's what we only want to be about here at the Springs. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to know him as Lord. He wants you to know him as Savior. He wants you to bow. And bowing is a privilege. So let me pray for him. Let me pray for us. And then we'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for my friend. I thank you for the gift of his faithfulness. I've gotten to watch and see him and Missy grow. Would you just bless him as he publicly declares? May he know, man, coming up here, sharing a story now, this is one time of countless. May the redeemed of the Lord say so. Would you bless him as we go to do that? God, would you continue to change lives in the way that you have, in the way that you continue to do? We need your help to do that. Would you continue in my heart and Kyle's and in every believer's heart here, would you help us to bow? Would you help us to acknowledge that you are king, that you are good? You have come and you have saved us. It's in your name that we pray because you are Lord. Amen. We all, let's give Kyle one more round of applause. Again, as I shared, we don't yet have a place where we can dunk folks and bring them back up here built. But one of the things we want to invite you to, if you want to come, is land a park. There's this waiting pool. If you don't know where that is, come talk to me. There's a waiting pool. It won't be long. Go celebrate the reality of a physical demonstration. The old is gone. The new has come. One of the things that we're trying today that I just want to remind you of before we get out of here is we're just trying to find ways for people to hang out and to connect, right? There's been an opportunity with some of the more people. How do we continue to take a next step of relationship? That's why we're saying, hey, if anybody wants to come or anybody's looking for a lunch spot, Go hang out at Herbert's. You might be wondering, oh, is there a major reserve section where everything's set aside? No, they wouldn't let us. So what's it going to be like? I have no idea. Be a host and care for other people, right? We'll just go eat some Mexican food and hang out and run towards God. But man, we're glad you're here. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next Sunday.